Hey, y'all, you tired of church teaching that just ain't right? It's kind of contrary to all God's word and such. Well, you need to know how to refute it. This here channel will help you out. We got answers. Welcome to Contending for Christ Apologetics, where old Danny boy seeks to equip you with some tools that you can go out and fight that good fight and really develop that there Christian faith. Now get after it, y'all. Welcome back to Contending for Christ Apologetics. Today we're going to continue our focus on Christmas, seeing as we're celebrating the birth of our Savior in just really a couple weeks. It's so funny because in our neighborhood, right down the road, we have this one house that's completely decked out with Christmas lights. And of course, they flash to the tune of the song and everything. I'm sure most neighborhoods have one of those houses, but what's fantastic is the house right next to this person. The only Christmas lights they actually have up spell out the word ditto in an arrow pointing to that next door neighbor house. And so I just thought that was so hilarious. You have one house that spent thousands of dollars on Christmas lights and to set it up and a lot of man hours. And yet you have the next house right next to it says ditto and point to it. So I just, you know, it's Christmas time when you see stuff like that. So because we're still focusing on Christmas, we're going to be looking at a few of our favorite Christmas songs today. The songs that we sing everywhere and I sing every year and I imagine that you probably sang one or two of these possibly already this year. You see, we listen to songs like the ones we're about to talk about because they they help shift our focus on the coming of Lord Jesus. You see, music is such an integral part of worshiping God. M music helps focus the heart on worship. And it's the main reason why so many churches sing songs prior to the preaching of God's word, to get the heart ready. There is something about singing praises in adoration to the maker of heaven and earth. It takes our focus off our lives and places our focus onto Abba Father who loves us. We see numerous places in scripture where men sing praises to God, women sing praises to God, even celestial beings sing praises to God. As a matter of fact, even Carrie Job's song, The Revelation Song, is pretty much pulled out of the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ, chapters 4 and 5. And to me, that's a very powerful song, and why not? Because it's pulled directly out of the written word of God. So with our focus on songs, and our focus on Christmas, we're going to put the two together and look at seven songs that most of us sing at this time of year. We're going to look at the history of songs, but we're also going to look at the words. Are the lyrics actually historically and biblically accurate? You see, this isn't meant to keep any of us from still singing these songs. In this episode, I don't want you to delete them from your playlist. I want you to keep enjoying them and keep singing them in worship and adoration to our great God. Just know that some of the lyrics aren't exactly accurate. So without further ado, let's look at the very first song. And it's fitting that the very first song is going to have the word first in it. And what song is that? It's the first Noel. You got it. You see, this song is mentioned as one of the oldest Christmas songs and dates back to the 17th century, maybe even earlier than that. Though we don't really know who rightfully claims this song, France and England both claim to have originated it. What does Noel even mean? Well, Noel is a late 14th century word that simply means Christmas or Christmas season. So the first Noel is the first Christmas. It was said to have been sung in England while peasants were lighting the Yule Log, and it was actually first published in the early 19th century, and then afterwards began being sung in churches. So what's inaccurate about the song The First Noel? Well, let's get some context. 
In the first verse, it mentions the shepherds who were in a field when the angels proclaimed Jesus' birth. Now, that's biblically accurate. We see that in Luke chapter 2. But it's in the second that we find our inaccuracy. In the verse goes, they looked up and saw a star shining in the east beyond them far away. Shepherds, field, star. Wasn't it the wise men who saw the star? You see, nowhere in the Bible do we read that the shepherds in the field saw a star, let alone followed a star. You see, it can't be proven with the Bible, but this also can't be referencing the three wise men. And we know the three wise men did in fact follow the star because we read about in Matthew chapter 2. But this song can't be referencing the three wise men. Why? Because in the song it says they saw the star in the east. The three wise men came from the east. So when they saw the star, they would have been following the star west. Otherwise, it would have taken them a very long time to circumnavigate the entire globe just to get to Jesus. The first Noel, no star for the shepherd, sorry. The next song is not as well known as the first Noel. It's sung by Paul Beloche, who received numerous Christian Music Dove Awards. He has some fantastic worship songs. Some of my favorite that he sings is Open the Eyes of My Heart, Hosanna, and Above All. However, our attention is on Christmas, and so we're going to look at his Christmas song entitled, This is Love. It's in the third verse where we're actually going to find the biblical inaccuracy, or at least we can't confirm the accuracy of the verse from the Bible. This verse goes, Worship fell that holy night. Angel voices filled the sky. Lowly shepherds raised their eyes, following the star so bright. Again, just like the first Noel, we get the idea that shepherds in the field of Luke, too, followed a star to the manger. We see this imagery all the time in the nativity scene paintings. But again, nowhere in the Bible do we ever read about shepherds following or even seeing this star. Now, I imagine they've seen a bunch of stars in the sky, but not this star. Why does everybody say shepherds saw the star? I know the star is very important as seen in the story of the wise men, but why are we seeing it in every song almost? Again, in this song, no stars for the shepherd. Sorry, Paul. Getting off the star train. Song number three is believed to have its roots in the early 19th century in America. It is believed to have been first published in the Myrtle in 1884, and it was actually known as Luther's Cradle Hymn. So those of you that know your history may already know what song I'm thinking about. This, the reason it was called Luther's Cradle Hymn is because it was thought to have been written by Martin Luther and sung by him to his kids. It was later discovered to have originated by the Lutherans in Pennsylvania in the early 1880s. The song has forever been a hymn that is well known by many children. It's even sung many times by young children. The song is no other than... Away in a Manger. Now I know this is a favorite song among many people. I like this song. My wife loves the song. Please don't stone me for what I'm about to point out. But the questionable inaccuracy I find is actually in the second verse of the song. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I gotta preface this first. I completely believe that Jesus was divine from all eternity. 
This would include his miraculous birth as well as even being a one-day-old infant. He was, is, and forever will be Emmanuel, God in flesh. But come on. Did baby Jesus really not cry as a one-day-old infant? Think about it. What infant do you know of who's one-day-old and wakes up from a nap and does not cry? An infant crying is not a sin. It's the baby's way of letting people know that something's not right or that the child needs something. I imagine baby Jesus cried as an infant, just as every infant does. It doesn't make Jesus a sinner for crying as an infant. It makes him human. So baby Jesus most likely did cry upon waking from sleep in the manger, contrary to what the Pennsylvania Lutherans wrote. And it's okay. He's still the sinless Prince of Peace, Emmanuel. Way in the manger. Sorry if I ruined it for you. On to song number four. This is actually one of my all-time favorites, and I was actually debating on putting it on my list here, but I didn't want to show any bias. So, written by a man by the name of Placide Capot, who lived in France in the 19th century. This man was well known for his poetry, and his priests had asked him to write a Christmas poem. And it was in the December of, 19, of, of 1847 when he wrote Cantique de Noël. Not having the ability to put this poem to song, he worked with Adolf Adam, who made the composition. And it was actually first played during the Midnight Mass on 24 December, Christmas Eve of 1847. This song eventually became the first Christmas song ever played live on the radio in 1906. This song is, Oh Holy Night. This one is not as historically inaccurate as the previous three, but I must point out one part of the song. In the beginning of the second verse, says, A thrill of hope, the weary, weary, the weary world rejoices. We know that the three wise men rejoiced two, two years later. We know that the shepherds rejoiced. We know that during Jesus' circumcision at the temple, Simeon and Anna rejoiced. But most of the world did not rejoice. Especially in the Roman Empire and the provinces, we know this because Herod sought to kill all the children because he was afraid of this divine child taking the seat as king. Additionally, most of the world didn't even know the Messiah had come on that appointed day. We know that the world is definitely blessed for the birth of our Savior, and it's a part in the purpose of the Abrahamic Covenant. But to say that the world rejoiced is a stretch, for most of the world was either A, ignorant of his birth, or B, wanting him executed. Oh, holy night. Sorry if I ruined it. Do you hear what I hear? Hopefully it's not the dogs in the background, but that's actually the next song we're going to look at. Noel Regeny wrote this song while its composition is due to a lady by the name of Gloria Baker, and they were a married couple. It's said to have been an appeal to the Cuban Missile Catastrophe. It was first sung in 1962 by Harry Corrali, and has been made into a cover by a lot of different singers around the world. That means this inaccuracy is being circulated around the entire globe through various singers. What in this song is not in accord with the Bible? I'm glad you asked. First, found in the first verse, Do you see what I see? A star, a star, dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite. Yes, you said it. Why, why, why? Why does everyone keep bringing this star into the Christmas story? 
please tell me in the comments here after this podcast is over where God tells the shepherd in the scripture that they actually see the star. Or at least, why do you believe people keep putting the star in songs with the shepherd? Is it not enough that the shepherds had a choir of angels to give revelation to them? You see, there's no even inference of the star with a tail by reading scripture. We do know that the angels told the shepherds that baby Jesus was born in Bethlehem because in the book of Luke, verse 11, says that he was born in the city of David. We also know that the sign they would know is finding a baby lying in a manger. We see that in verse 12. So the shepherds left in verse 14 of, or 15 and 16 to find the manger in the city of David. No star, no tail, no dancing. But the shepherd might have been dancing on his way there because of the prophecy being fulfilled. But no star dancing in the sky. But that's not the only one in the song. The second and third inaccuracy in the song is referring to the king. First found in verse 3. It says the shepherds told the mighty king that Jesus was born and is shivering in the cold. We don't see Herod actually notified until the three wise men show up later in Matthew's account. Furthermore, in verse 4 it states that the king told everyone to pray for peace everywhere. You see, if peace means killing all children under two years old, then okay, I get it. But I don't believe killing people is very peaceful, especially little children. Finally, this king didn't even believe baby Jesus would bring goodness and light. King Herod was a coward, and he was ignorant, and he was fearful of this child king who he believed would usurp his authority. While we're on the subject of kings, let's talk about the sixth song. We Three Kings. This is such a popular song. Written and composed by John Hopkins Jr. in the 19th century, it was actually based upon the narrative of the journey of the wise men in Matthew 2. And it found its way into the Carol's Hymns and Songs publication in 1863 and was actually stated by Carlton Young to have been regarded by hymnal editors as, and I quote, the sole USA contribution to the repertoire of English language carols. In this song, there is one thing that is biblically inaccurate and one thing that can't be corroborated by the Bible. First, what in the We Three Kings song can't be corroborated? The number of kings. How do we know there were three of them? The Bible never even says how many of these kings actually came. The common inference is the fact that three kings because there were three gifts. The gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But that's actually horrible logic. Think about it. If I give my son five presents on Christmas morning, does that mean five people were here and that each person gave one gift? No. My wife and I bought the presents, and though it may be five gifts, there was two of us. The conclusion doesn't follow the premise. What do we know about the three wise men, these three kings? We know that there was at least more than one because there's constant reference of them in the plural form. There could have been three, but there could have been two, four, or even 328 of them. We don't know. But the historical and biblical inaccurate information in the We Three Kings song is reference to these people actually being kings. Nowhere in the Bible are they referenced as kings. You see, the Greek word for kings is baseleus, and that's not even the word we find in Matthew 2 in this account. We find the Greek word magos, M-A-G-O-S, and this actually means wise men, or another common name for it was astrologers. You see, these astrologers studied the stars in the night sky. They interpreted visions and dreams based upon the stars. And they even made life decisions such as the way people do today with horoscopes. 
The 328 astrologers most likely came from Babylon, Babylon, Babylonia, or Chaldea. For it was in that area that was very famous for these type of astrologers. We even see these astrologers in the book of Daniel, and we see their inability to decipher the king's dream in chapter 4. The song shouldn't be, we three kings of Orient are, but rather it should be, we three astrologers from Chaldea are. We three kings, I'm sorry, you can't confirm there were three, there was probably 328 of them. But also they weren't kings, they were actually wise men, they were astrologers. Sorry. We finally reached the final song in our list of historical and biblical, uh, biblically inaccurate songs. You know, I hope this is enlightening and informative to you. The final song is actually a pet peeve of mine. Something that I see quite common among personal beliefs of angels. You probably already know where I'm going with this. Written by Edmund Sears as a poem in 1849, this song is of the angels, and it was featured in Common Meter Doubled and originally titled Calm of the Listening Ear. While Sears was suffering a breakdown in, in the recent U.S. war with Mexico, it was written during a time of personal depression he struggled with. See, he struggled with a dark world of sin and strife, and of those not being able to hear the Christian message, the song is none other than It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. First, found in the second verse, we see it's contextually speaking of angels, and it says, Still through cloven skies they come, with peaceful wings unfurled. See, nowhere in the Bible does God tell us angels have wings. We know that cherubim have wings. They have four of them. We know seraphim have wings. They have six of them. And we know those wings even have eyes in their wings. And we know the cherubim has four faces. But we are never ever told that Gabriel or Michael have any wings. Now I know, I know, I know this apologetics channel, absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence. But I would refrain from adding scripture, adding to scripture what God doesn't even tell us. Why do we always see paintings of angels with wings? You know, I had to look this up and, and study this part. It was said that the belief of angels having wings was actually a fusion into Christian beliefs from paganism. They were said to have wings because they were illustrated as benevolent spirits, but these spirits were coming from higher places or heaven, hence the need to fly. You see, just like halos, which is actually a Catholic invention to signify and symbolize glory, angelic wings are another invention of man. But it doesn't stop there. The song... The second inaccuracy or presupposition is found in the first verse. It came upon a midnight clear, that glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. What? Huh? Angels have harps? Where is that in the Bible? Oh, yeah. We always see the angels sitting on clouds, right? Strumming the golden harps. It's got to be accurate, right? Wrong. The only places in the Bible where instruments are actually referenced are realistically in the hands of men uh, in the Old Testament. There are various types of instruments, and many of them are stringed instruments. So while people may have played on the harps, and they may have even been gold, nowhere, we, nowhere are we ever told that angels actually play on golden harps. But the most inaccurate thing about this particular song is that nowhere, check it out, look at the lyrics, look at the words, Nowhere does it mention God or Jesus Christ. You see, that's the whole purpose of Christmas. This is no wonder, for Edmund Sears was actually a Unitarian, and most people believe he was never even a Christian because he espoused Unitarian doctrine, and if you know anything about Unitarian teachings, it is not Christian. So there you have it. 
seven Christmas songs that you're singing and I'm singing this Noel that are not biblically or historically accurate. There is no stars for the shepherds. There is actually 328 astrologers, not three. There were no wings of the angel and no golden harps strummed by angels. Sorry. Wrong, 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 wrong. Even though, don't stop singing the worship songs. Especially if you draw nearer to God. But at least see this episode as a catalyst to ensure that we're looking at the lyrics. So we can see in the lyrics, what are we singing to? Are the lyrics edifying, honoring, and actually accurate? See, growing up, I've seen many people singing and enjoying songs without even realizing that the lyrics are grossly disrespectful or even inhumane. And I pray that the songs we sing, we understand what the lyrics say, because the last thing we want to do as Christians is to circulate a song that is not biblically accurate, especially if it deviates from the clear teaching of the Word of God. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was actually quite fun, you know, researching it. And it took me a while to actually find uh, at least seven songs that were biblically or historically inaccurate. So kudos to all the Christian Christmas songwriters, because it did take quite a while to try to find all these songs. That's a great thing, because most of these Christmas songs, Christian songs, appear to be very biblically and theologically accurate. Feel free to let us know in the comments in this podcast episode if you know of any other Christmas songs or any other Christmas song that is not biblically accurate or historically accurate. Christmas, Christian uh, songs, whatever the case is. I thank you for checking into this episode, and as always, God bless. Thank you for checking out Contender for Christ Apologetics. We pray this ministry glorifies God and edifies the listener through accurate exegesis and scripture and refutation of false teachings and heresies. If you liked this episode, please be sure to click the thumbs up button and leave a comment. Be sure to also check out our website at c4cpologetics.weebly.com for more information, newsletters, blogs, videos, and free ebooks. If you have any ideas for future episodes or want to send us a message, go right on ahead. You can email us at c4capologetics at gmail.com. Thanks for checking in, and remember, y'all, to be bold and keep contending for Christ.